This week's podcast is sponsored by the Bowers & Wilkins 600 Series 3. The eighth generation of one of Hi-Fi's most acclaimed ranges features some of the most comprehensive upgrades the 600 Series has ever received. The Bowers & Wilkins 600 Series 3 is designed for every music lover. It's the attainable way to experience the joys of true sound at home. Discover more at BowersWilkins.com. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums Movies Podcast from Monday the 6th of November 2023. Tonight I'm joined by Tom Davis. Hello. Mark Costello. Good day! And all the way from <laughs> down under, silhouetted against a live backdrop, Simon Cross. Hello everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> this week... Uh, Tom's going to talk about Scorsese's latest epic masterpiece, Colors of the Flower Moon. I'm going to revisit the now overshadowed blockbuster of the year, the epic Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 in 4K. Mark's going to pick a couple of gems from his epic top 10 Blu-rays for November. We're going to sweep through uh, an epic list of streaming releases and upcoming 4K titles, and we're going to discuss epic movies. Uh, long and overlong movies, what films earn their length and what outstay their welcome. Mm. But first, let's dive into the competitions, Mark. Okay, uh, so we can kick it off and a very lengthy list here. You can win the brand new Wharfdale DX3 HCP, courtesy of Peter Tyson and IAG, worth a lovely £500 and exclusively open to our US members the lucky dogs, a $500 voucher from MPB. Uh, however, don't feel left out, patrons, because there's a lot of exclusive offers <laughs> for you, including Studio Canal's Delicatessen on 4K and Transformers Rise of the Beasts on 4K. One of those is not like the other. <laughs> Second Sight's Halloween Bundle of the Witch on Blu-ray and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on 4K. Wow. Barbie, Mortal Kombat Legends, Cage Match and Ghost Dog Way the Samurai on BD. A selection of Blu-rays from my apparently superb top 10 rundown for both October and and spoilers, November, including Radiance Films, Visible Secret, Third Window Films, Door, Signatures, Little Bone Lodge, Second Sight's Chopper, and the Ginger Snaps trilogy, which is an awesome set for October. Uh, and Anne Rice's Interview the Vampire Season 1 and Studio Canal's King and Country for November. However, it says here, here comes the big one. You can win a copy of the Warner Brothers 30 Film Studio Collection box set on 4K Ultra HD worth a whopping £300. Yay. So head over to avforums.com forward slash competition to enter. And as ever, all competitions are open to eligible AV Forums members, residents in the UK. Nice. Good selection. Uh, we've Excellent. got pre previous competition winners. Uh, Supporter 701 Scream Scream Again on limited edition Blu-ray. Supporter Big Bad David won The Dead Mother on limited edition Blu-ray. Supporter Mr. Twinkle won two dramas by Kira Muratova on Blu-ray. Uh, supporter R-Type won Marlow on Blu-ray and star supporter Jackie Chan Wigwam won Cutthroat Island on limited edition Steelbook 4K. Well done. Uh, we have also had a couple of people who bought us a coffee. Thank you very much. Titch77 and Shielby. I am, I am waiting for that coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could do with it too. All right, let's have some movie reviews and news. Right, so Tom has carved out half a day 
to sacrifice for Martin Scorsese's first DiCaprio and De Niro team up. It is their first run around. Not many people are talking about this. It is, isn't it? No, it's no. Not, no. Not the first time they, they've a been boy's together. Life. They did a boy's no, life. No, 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 no. Scorsese team up. Oh, with the pair of them. Yes. Oh, okay. No, they did oh, do yeah, a boy's yeah. life. But... Okay, the yeah, yeah, yeah. three of them together. Okay. Yes, because yeah. he because yeah. he's he's had a run of films with De Niro and a run of films with DiCaprio, but they've sure. never had both. They've always planned it. This is their first actual team up. It's quite fun that all of the uh, press that's coming out of it is talking about how slightly annoyed Bobby De Niro was by uh, Leo DiCaprio's acting style, which is entertaining me no end. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> DiCaprio has a, a penchant for uh, ad-libbing a little bit, and uh, De Niro just doesn't go in for that at all, supposedly. So the two of them were a bit of tension, I think, on set at times. <laughs> De Niro's moaning about someone else acting. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I bet there was a day when he was the younger one, wasn't he? He was the... He was the Dustin Hoffman to someone else's Laurence Olivier, I bet, back in the day. <laughs> Um, yeah, I did. I, I watched it. And um, before I say anything else about it, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and taking into account recency bias. I know that is a thing. I'm I'm going to put it in like my top five Scorsese movies. I really, really enjoyed Killers of the Flower Moon. I thought it was just so well executed. Um, not just a great concept, not just great performances, not just Martin uh, Scorsese putting in uh, his greatest effort, as he almost always does, but the combination of those three to tell uh, an interesting story in a way that you wouldn't expect um, just made it for me, and, and I had an absolute blast with it. If you don't know, it is about the... Um, Osage Nation, one of the uh, First Nations in America who just happened to discover an oil field um, on their land uh, the near the start of the 20th century. Um, and off the back of that became, um, per head, the richest people on the planet. So uh, per member of the Osage Nation, like the uh, the wealth was incredible. So, of course, as soon as that happened, everyone descended trying to get a, a slice of that pie, and particularly um, white, uh, middle-class America, upper-class America, I guess you would say, coming in to either defraud them or trick them or otherwise try and squeeze them out of their claim. Um, but that's all sort of background to the actual film. And the actual film is uh, one guy, Ernest Burkhart, a veteran of the First World War, coming to work for his uncle, William King Hale. And uh, King, as he's known in the community, is a, a well-known philanthropist and um, a friend of the Osage Nation. He's done a lot to um, advocate for them. And he is very well thought of. He has basically built the, the town that he, he lives in from scratch for the benefit of the people working for the Osage. So the, the um, white Americans are the drivers. They are their butlers. They are their assistants. Um, and 
supposedly King has kind of enabled this whilst owning a ranch out of town and, and making money that way. No interest in the oil. Of course, then his nephew shows up and five minutes into the movie, it is revealed that this is more or less a long con from Hale, who is determined to have every member of his family marry a woman from the Osage Nation with a claim to the oil fields. And as uh, his family members marry into those claims, slowly edge the Osage out. Um, and that goes from legal means to not so legal means. And that story is all fascinating. It's really interesting. But what makes the story is the focus that um, Scorsese gives to uh, Ernest Burkhart's chosen wife, Molly, who is one of these Osage women who has a claim to the oil fields. And for the first time that I can remember, we get a Martin Scorsese picture, which gives time and presence and thought to the experience of the uh, women who have to live under these moral codes created by men, who are basically at the whim of the men who break their morals, which is one of Scorsese's favorite subjects. Um, and the focus that the film gives to her is so refreshing and feels so earned and is so heartbreaking as as um, King's plans progress um, that it makes it unlike anything Scorsese has made before. Um, typically, I guess The Departed is, is a, an example of one of his films where we get a few different viewpoints. We get to maybe not empathize, but we get to identify with a few different characters. Um, this feels even more disparate than that. You've got King's point of view, you've got Ernest's point of view, you've got Molly's point of view, you have the point of view of uh, King's legal team, you have the point of view of Tom White, an FBI agent who comes in um, in the back half of the movie to investigate the plot that uh, King is stringing out. And it feels like Scorsese's gone, well, I know how to do that, and I know how to do that, and I've not really tried that before, but I'm going to put it all in this film. And he just lays it all out. And I don't know how he could have executed it better. It It uh, is a long film at three and a half hours long, and it's not, it's not um, like speedy, it's not like punchy, the pace is quite languid, but boy, that time flies by just because you are so involved in all the intricate cogs and pieces that are going into um, basically Hale's mini personal genocide of the Osage. And it is fascinating and depressing and just uh, definitely, Kaz, you referred to, I think, as as his Scorsese's latest masterpiece. I'm comfortably putting it in that category. It is it is one of Scorsese's masterpieces. And if you are umming and ahhing about the, about the length or whether it's worth seeing it on the big screen or waiting for it to come to Apple, which it inevitably will, sort of December time, 
go and see it at the big screen. Go and get the most out of it. Go and see uh, Scorsese's first Western on the big screen. Take it all in. Enjoy as much of it as you can and just uh, sit with it and be with it and be present for however long it's there in front of you. And and I can't guarantee that you'll get a lot of it because I'm, I've seen more than a, a couple of opinions say like, oh, it's a bit boring. I don't really get it. It's a bit long. It's not doing much for me. But for the possibility that you'll go there and have the experience that I had with it, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, so, yeah. Anyone on the fence? Don't be on the fence. Get out of your house. Carve out three and a half hours of your day or four hours with adverts or five hours with travel or whatever it is. Go and see it. It's, it's well worth it. Thanks, Tom. I will go and see it. Thanks, Mark. You should. <laughs> you will not. No, no, no. They are watching on but, Apple but at home. Of course I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm seriously and, considering it though. I, I, it's just it is literally carving out the time, but yeah. but you know that it's not because. I mean, I bet I'll I'll go. I wish I'd seen one of Scorsese masterpieces at the cinema. It's just carving out the time and knowing it's a month away from landing on streaming. It's it's a tough ask, but it my god, that is a sales pitch, Tom. That <laughs> sounds absolutely epic. Which just leaves me on a bit of a downer because I've got to take you through, you know, half a dozen streaming and cinema releases. Which see, never, don't sit at home never. and watch whatever nonsense is on stream. Just, just go to the cinema. Yeah, okay. Even if but, you don't go and see Killers of the Flower, I mean, don't sit and watch like Pain Hustlers for God's sake. Okay, so here's <laughs> here's my really quick list of things you could also watch, which none of which sound as good as Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> As as Tom mentioned, Netflix's highly disingenuous attempt to gain pity as the fentanyl scammers, which is the Emily Blunt, Chris Evans blockbuster waste of time pain hustlers. Sorry, make up your own mind, people. It might not be a waste of time for everybody. Um, Apple's overly slight wasted opportunity of a high concept sci-fi twinged love story, which was fingernails. A bit disappointed, Apple. Yeah, I'm disappointed in that. That sounded great. Yeah. It did. I mean, it's it's great chemistry from from the two leads, Riz Ahmed and Jess Buckley. But just uh, you know, I I wrote in the review they could have THX eleven thirty aided it. They could have made it something interesting about this notion of being able to test for true love or test for compatibility and like outlaw relationships that don't have haven't passed this test. It's not. It's just a love story with a you know a, some kind of different back backdrop. Um, on Amazon, Nick Cage's latest Western, better than his last Western, Butcher's Crossing, a valiant attempt at something different, a revisionist Western from Nick Cage. Uh, Wait, hang on. What was oh, Nick Cage's first Western? Only his third The Old one. Way. Oh, yeah. That was his first that, Western man. of all time. That was a standard kind of revenge Western. It was okay. Yeah, it was fine. But, but this, is, uh, this is more of a proper revisionist Western just obsession madness out in the wilderness uh hints of moby dick there's some there's some um there's some commendable attempts at doing something but it is low budget and i i found the choice of lead opposite uh cage was brought it down a piece because he, he did bring something different to it and didn't do his usual overacting uh tiny bit more positive royal royal hotel 
Um, this is from Kissy Green, who reunites with her lead from her last film, The Assistant, uh, Julia Garner. And it's another study of toxic masculinity, this time set not quite where Simon's sitting, but in sort of a stuck in the 70s Australian outback hotel bar with all male patrons, which, which is interesting for a couple of um, backpackers uh, who take a job there because they need the money um it's good it's good because it builds like the assistant did with little subtle nods towards things that you can feel are plausible and every day um in in behavior rather than outright you know abuse but um but uh i don't think I think they could have done more with it. And I found it interesting, a couple of comments on the thread where they should have gone full gonzo for the finale. And I can kind of see why. That's always, what, always go full yeah, gonzo. Mark's sitting there going, yeah. Absolutely. Full gonzo. There's, there is no such thing as two gonzo at the end of anything. <laughs> yeah. Half gonzo, no. Well, <laughs> apart from men. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, man, that was uh, quite yeah. the swing. Yeah, exactly. That was that was the opposite of this. That was great until it went full gonzo. Um, <laughs> uh, Disney's Quiz Lady uh, didn't expect this to be any good. Uh, Aquafina, uh, Aquafina, and uh, Sandra O. Oh. Um, but I, I thought it was a lot of fun. A lot more fun than it should have been. That the, they were great riffing on each other, and um, and Will Ferrell was was good in it. Uh, Jason Schwartzman is actually deliciously evil in it um yeah it was fun it's more fun than i expected from uh, you know disney streaming flick called quiz show starring this cast uh but my gem of the week was was bottoms which is uh emma seligman's latest she did another film no one's heard of shiver baby um and she reunites with her lead from that rachel senate and i it's so deliciously over top over the top it's um a high school sex comedy but it's done completely from the point of view of two teen lesbians and uh, it, everything is exaggerated to the you know 11th degree the 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 super masculine um boys football team are never seen outside of their uniform wherever they are in their lessons, in their halls, they have their own little throne table that they sit at that's slightly elevated at the back of the room. And behind them are biblical pictures of like the Last Supper with them in their uniform eating. <laughs> you know, it's it's that kind of... Be, be, people have watched this and somehow went, I've never seen a high school like this. No, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it absolutely doesn't exist. This is not based on any kind of reality. It's what I loved about it. Um, I, I said it was American Pie meets Fight Club. People complained, was it too much like American Pie? I, I revised it. Super bad meets Fight Club, people, okay? Then it, then maybe there won't be any conflict over whether there's any gross-out comedy. Does, does Eddie Hitler cameo? No. If if he doesn't, then I'm I'm, I'm not interested. That, I mean, that's an Aid Edmondson gag for everyone there who's looking at me as if I'm not on this planet. Bottoms. Oh, I see. Yes. Oh, do you know what? Do you, yes. do you know, I'm wasted. Oh, bottoms. I'm oh, just wasted. I get it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ. I hate you all. <laughs> Good one, Mark. Nice. Yes. I am nothing if not highly topical. Very good. <laughs> like hemorrhoid cream. 
And next up, we're going to talk about 4K discs. If you enjoy the podcast on YouTube, then please like and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version, then please leave us a rating on your podcast app. We invite you to email questions and feedback to podcast at avforums.com and join in with this episode's discussion thread in the podcasts forum at avforums. Right, well, now Mark is going to have to keep a straight face as he talks us through his excellent top 10 Blu-ray rundown for November, which went live yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday. Possibly yeah. our biggest yet. Two days ago. A few days. A few... <laughs> yeah, Australia's in the future. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yes, because 4K, man, it's so... That, the format's just... I'm going backwards, as you can tell from my attire. I'm all about the retro, so it's all 1080p for me this week, baby. Uh, yes, a couple of the top ten. Well, actually, I'm going to pick three to draw attention to. The first is, I put it in as my joint seventh pick, which you may question why I'm talking about it. But it's Typhoon Club, a strange coming-of-age film from Japanese director Shinji Samai, which I'd never heard of. A lot of people in the uh, in the West have not heard of him, but this was apparently voted the 10th best Japanese film of all time by Japan's equivalent of Sight and Sound. Uh, this is a, on the face of it, it's a it's a typical John Hughes coming of age. There is a typhoon coming into this small village and a group of school kids are marooned inside and fun and hijinks ensue. But it's an awful lot darker than that. And there is some, there's some really close to the knuckles stuff in here. It's, there's a lot of subtext. There's no adults. What adults there are are, uh, ridiculously ineffective, drunken layabouts, lots of thematic nods to uh, something happening as kids move out of childhood into adulthood. Rather than a celebration of that move, this is almost mourning it, as if to say, kids, it's never going to be this good ever again. Uh, it's Really interesting, but I didn't engage with it at all. However, I appear to be the only person on the planet who thinks this isn't the best film ever made. So I'm mentioning it because others may want to check it out. Uh, it's from Third Window Films, who, who I think are associated with Arrow at this moment in time, aren't they? Uh, and that Blu-ray is coming out on the 27th of November. Uh, the, the next one I want to talk about is uh, there's so much, so much Kung Fu coming out from everyone that it's almost difficult to, to, to pick the really good ones from the not so good ones. But there was a belter this month, sorry, coming out later this month, again on the 27th from 88 films called Last Hero in China. Now this is Jet Li doing Wong Fei Hung and he was doing this slap bang in the middle of him doing Sui Hark's Once Upon a Time in China trilogy. But this is almost like a a piss take of that. It's an awful lot more lighthearted. He is Wong Fei Hung, but played for laughs. There are elements of this that are almost bawdy sex comedy. His his far his apothecary is now located next door to a brothel. And there is there is a song in this that I tell you, it, it there could be a carry-on film made just out of that. But obviously it being it being Jet Li. 
there are some outrageous action scenes, and the action scenes in this are superb. The finale alone sees him dressed as a huge chicken taking on uh, an eight-man human centipede in, in in some form of lion dance smackdown. It's it's bananas, but it's absolutely brilliant and the one thing for me with these films is it's the humor that that automatically puts me off in a lot of these but the humor in this was pitched just right so if you're a fan of period wuxia films uh with with kick-ass fight scenes in this is your new favorite film however it wasn't my favorite film this month my favorite film was something a little more somber uh it's a film called king and country i'd never heard of it before it's by Joseph Losey, uh, who did the excellent The Servant, and he released this. It was a, I think it was a couple of years after The Servant, uh, and he reunited with Dirk Bogard. To basically, it's a riff on Paths of Glory from Stanley Kubrick. A young soldier is accused of desertion. He's got what what we know now to be PTSD, but they, they just knew it as shell shock. Uh, and it's the story of how the army dealt with this this individual now the young man is played by tom courtney and he won uh, best actor award at venice in 1964 when this was released and this is just a, a fantastic fantastic film uh, it's depressing but it's depressing in the way that paths of glory was it's it's vitriolic it's got stuff to say it's not afraid to say it and it's quite angry in how it goes about saying it but it, it's it's really worth seeing. Uh, and even though I didn't put this at my number one spot, uh, I, I this is probably the film I think that most people will hopefully discover out of this month's top ten. So King and Country from Studio Canal recommended. So yeah, but but all of them, I, I would say all of them this month. There are a couple of stinkers this month. Obviously, Jackie Chan's The Medallion. Ooh, that was a bit rough. Uh, the biggest disappointment for me was Chuck Norris in Silent Rage. Now, if you read the back of Silent Rage, it sounds like it's Chuck Norris meets Michael Myers or the Terminator. It sounds amazing. It's not. It's so disappointing. <laughs> it, 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 it's okay. It's it's average. But what's interestingly enough, this is the one film that Chuck Norris himself doesn't like. It goes too far out of his comfort zone. He does very little martial arts. And he has a couple of really awkward love scenes, which you can just tell from the look on his face. He was the only person not enjoying them. Uh, but anyway, there's uh, uh, check out my reviews. Uh, check out the list. Uh, there's some bangers coming next month to round out the year. But uh, yeah, have a look in, in, in the list. And I'm sure there's some good stuff in there for you all. Very nice. Very nice. Wonderful. You want to tell us what's coming out in 4K as well? Do go I? wild. Am I going? Am I going back to the four K? Oh, if I have to. So uh, it's actually a quite a quiet uh, couple of weeks for announcements. The BFI are bringing Henry Georges Clouseau's classic. Now I'd put William Friedkin's Sorcerer uh, Originator. Yeah. Some scampers put Liam Neeson's The Ice Road Originator. <laughs> I mean, some somewhat accurate. Uh, yeah. But anyway, burying the lead, Wages of Fear is coming to 4K on the 5th of Feb. Excellent. That's great. So thing. good. Uh, mm. Second Sight are jumping on the Marty bandwagon and they're bringing one of their sumptuous limited editions for Mean Streets coming on January the 15th. Should be good. Uh, whereas Studio Canal are fine, finally bringing the standard edition of Cross of Iron out next Monday for all those who were far too tight to splurge on the Steelbook. 
like me. <laughs> uh, however, the big action is over in the US. Punching a horse action. Punching a yes. horse action. I mean, let, let's be honest, this isn't news anymore because we've all pre-ordered the Conan <laughs> the Barbarian twin set already. Uh, I mean, if you haven't, get on it. That's coming on January the 16th. I think the thing that most people are maybe putting people off here is that it's Arrow US. Oh, I don't like importing. It's going to be massively expensive. Well, actually, Arrow have made it super easy, barely an inconvenience. Sorry, do we have to pay people? Because I've said that. I, I hope not. Because uh, if you've not done it yet, go over to the Arrow website. And on the top right of the Arrow website, there's a little uh, drop down where you can select the US store. Dead easy. All your UK account details and payment details and all that carry on and you can pay on it. And shipping is like $2.50. It's nuts. So if you haven't checked out any of the Arrow US stuff, get on it. And especially this Conan twin set, it looks to be something special. Prong uh, is pleased. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scream Factory, getting things back on track, uh, are giving us a 40th anniversary edition of the hugely underrated Cronenberg King joint, The Dead Zone, coming on. Oh, so fun. Love that film. And yes. no one ever talks about it. It's a great film. Uh, West Wing fans, check it out. You'll love a bit of Martin Sheen as the president. It's, it's, it's brilliant. True. Uh, uh, Kino are bringing Guillermo del Toro's really ace, but sadly not quite great, Mimic to 4K, as they usually do early next year, whatever that means, Kino. Uh, and because I've already <laughs> mentioned it, uh, Cinema Guild over in the States, uh, a small boutique label, boutique label over there, are actually bringing Typhoon Club that we've just talked about uh, to 4K over in the States. So if you are a fan of the film or you do want to check it out, there's a 4k coming next year in the states and that's pretty much it uh there's there's not a huge amount out of announcements i think uh no it's a good it's a good list already... I've, got, I've got i've got another conan pun it's really taken my stygian fancy anyway <laughs> <laughs> keep moving hemorrhoids yeah <laughs> that's all i've got to say hemorrhoids it happens as you get older mark it's okay uh, i know why, why do you think i can't sit still <laughs> oh well i've got uh mission impossible dead reckoning part one to talk about on 4k i had a tremendous amount of fun with this at the cinema uh, i saw it in imax i mean i got i got a beef with the fact that it wasn't actually imax for formatted but that's for another day uh, I, I, out of all of the part ones this year, it was my favourite. Um, I thought it handled the part one-edness the best out of um, uh, the admittedly excellent Across the Spider-Verse and Fast X. Um, I thought this was the one that didn't just pause the story and make us wait two years uh, and instead told a coherent narrative with a satisfying conclusion that was part one of a two-part tale um and i think that that that's uh yeah it was it was great uh crew's looking a little older now but still doing crazy stuff uh hayley atwell was a fantastic addition to the cast and uh it it suffered from a two years of previewing its stunts 
I mean, this is why I don't see trailers, boys. This is this is this is exactly it. Tell me, you, trailers. hang on, you didn't but, avoid that though. You didn't avoid the jump. no, no. I, I don't think can't. I could. I don't think I could avoid all of it. But yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. this is this is what people are mm. talking about. How they did they were saturated by the stunts from this. That's how I feel about most modern trailers. If you could somehow avoid that, I think movies would be so much better off than trailers that give away everything every key turn everything yeah the fafu movies are terrible for just showing like the last 10 minutes in the trailer <laughs> they do oh man yeah. oh vertical racing yeah that'll be a real surprise um yeah i don't i don't know it's i think that they they did saturate it with this i i remember um a friend of mine his his class went out to watch the the trains being dumped in the quarry up in derbyshire it feels like years ago, like mm-hmm. absolute years ago. It was. They were filming it. They were taking shots of it. And 1964. That's that was... when he started doing that. <laughs> and it, it feels like um, that's okay. That's my level of I don't mind that kind of background detail. But when you start seeing how the stunts were mapped out, you start having promo shots of the actor and the director standing on platforms, hanging off cliffs. You know, this is where we're going to film a stunt. When you see the finished product, there's a lot of effects that have been put in to kind of smooth that into a sequence. I just think that some of that magic could be saved for the disc when Mm. you want to watch a behind the scenes feature or something rather than blasted up front. Um, Mm. I wouldn't say that it, you know, it ruined the film at all because I thought it I thought it was tremendous. Um, but I do think that they should learn from that for the next one. And they've got a bit more time. I think they filmed like 60% of the next one. I would also say that uh, my feelings towards this are largely hinged on the fact that, you know, I really think that with a an amazing finale, this will be a, a potential to top Fallout. Because the, the movie on its own doesn't. It doesn't come close. But if they get the next one right, they could. And it's a kind of franchise where they would. It's the opposite to how I feel about like Fast X, where there's no chance. Um, you know, that yes. You say that. Oh no, I'm you gonna watch I'm gonna say watch it. that. I'm gonna watch it and gonna take the kids to it. And my son does not like me talking bad about Fast X, but I have no In Pete Davidson we trust. You had to go there. <laughs> The disc. The disc looks tremendous. Uh, 4K Dolby Vision again. Those who've been spoiled by seeing IMAX scenes on Fallout, which were just sheer perfection, Mm. are going to wonder, you know, start talking about digital grains, start talking about how it looks. I think it looked fantastic. You're going to have a blast watching it. What's even better is the Atmos soundtrack, which is a contender for one of the best Atmos tracks I've come across this year. The Mm. bass is insane right from the get-go proper oh i'm gonna have to turn that down bass uh it's it's very intense the, the I, sub the sandstorm it's tremendous I, i'm sorry because i've never come across that kind of bass before oh i've got to turn it down bass no no you've lost me there mate it's it's well it, i mean i'm in a semi-detached house so there's oh. only so far I'm willing to go before oh. I get I get the knock on the door, and I go <laughs> far. I go far enough that I've been in the garden before, 
And I've realized, yeah, that's a little bit loud. I'll get a Comac and turn it down for the kid. <laughs> so, so it's, yeah, I, I, I felt for the neighbors during uh, this. Mark lives in a giant Scottish castle, so he doesn't have to worry about these things. Well, he does. It's going to shake it to pieces. It's not, just an underground crypt. Of, <laughs> yeah. you know, he lives under a giant Scottish castle. <laughs> Without the owner's knowledge. I mean, uh, it's not like it's not like I live in Australia, where it appears that walls are a thing of the past. Isn't that right, Simon? Oh, well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I highly recommend this. Pick up the disc. Don't wait for the second part. Who knows when it's coming? It's worth checking out. Cool. Uh, next up, streaming TV show news and our theme of the week: best and worst really long movies. If you'd like to support the AV Forums podcast on a regular basis, then why not become a patron? Head over to patreon.com forward slash AV Forums to sign up. You can also make a one-off donation through the Super Chat or via streamlabs.com forward slash AV Forums. All donations help us to improve the website and the podcasts. Thank you to all our supporters. Right, we're going to dip pretty much straight into uh, theme of the week. But I'm going to shout out to Blue Eye Samurai, which I'll give a review for another time. One of the best things I've seen on any streaming service this year. Uh, I just finished it today. I'll get the review up. Absolutely tremendous uh, anime from Netflix. Uh, from the guy who wrote Logan and uh, Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner. And a fabulous cast, really well drawn, really, really great narrative and world building. Uh, Full of blood and sex. Absolutely superb. <laughs> Up there with Arcane. Strong recommendation, Simon. Get on it. Who's the animation studio, Kaz? Who's who's doing it? I'm I'm not that far into my oh, research for the review. Yet. Uncle Walt. I would love to tell you. I would love to tell you. <laughs> you tell me, Tom. Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> it's great. It looks fantastic. It's absolutely stunning. Really. I mean, it's it's, it's the review will be up and I've put an un unholy amount of images from the uh, show into it mm. because it looked so tremendous um our theme our theme is long movies uh films that do and don't earn length and this is coming off the back of scorsese's 206 minutes killers of the flower moon and cruises 164 minutes dead reckoning part one uh, I put in, uh, you know, a lot of suggestions for the team who completely ignored it. So we're just going to completely wing it. I would say ones that I've shouted out as a comparison. Uh, I didn't realize 120 minutes of the original Justice League versus 242 minutes of Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is... <laughs> I mean, dear God. I, yeah, I know you say dear God, but I definitely didn't think it was twice as long, which is saying something about about that. I think um, I'm still watching it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marvel, I've noticed, has had uh, quite a run of, of uh, epic movies, some of which worked 148 minutes for No Way Home. Yeah, Marvel don't know what the heck they're doing. Yeah. They're just making stuff for the sake of making stuff at this point. Like, like, how long was the Eternals, for God's sake? 156 minutes of Eternals. 156 Jeez. minutes. 161 minutes of Wakanda Forever. Yeah. I mean, that was they, worth it. Yeah. Really... Isn't a large portion of those films the um, the logo at the beginning, though? 
Um, <laughs> yeah. A good half, a good yes. half. And, and then the other quarter is credits. <laughs> C- CGI credits, yeah. like yeah. I mean, the following no... people were not paid enough for the work that they did. I mean, there's there's a lot of credits in there, but these are no Wonder Woman eighty four was one hundred and fifty one minutes. There's some uh-huh. there are some long movies in here, and this year it's been an interesting year because we've had long movies, one hundred and fifty four minutes of Dial of Destiny. And we've had long worthy movies, 183 minutes of Oppenheimer. Um, and we've had a lot of part ones, 140 minutes of Spider-Verse, which is the longest animated movie of all time, 141 minutes of Fast X and the 164 minutes of Dead Reckoning. It's, um, I don't know. What do we think about long movies, Simon? Come on, what do we think about long movies? Uh, long movies can be good if it's an interesting story and you're invested in the characters and the story. That there is, um, that, that's the only way it can work. You know, if you're just sitting down for three hours worth of dross, it's going to feel like three hours worth of dross. Um, the, the, I mean, you, you can pick plenty of plenty of classics out of it. David Lean has always made a, a fantastic epic films. Um, my, my own. I mean, you, you said you wanted to end end on our on our favourites, um, but I'm going to have to jump straight in and say my one of the greatest long films of all time has to be Akira Kurosawa's Seventh Samurai, yeah. which only feels like about 20 minutes long because it is so enthralling. You are hooked right from the beginning, and the, the world building, the the building of the team, the epic fight battles of which there are many, um, and the conclusion. It's just an absolutely spellbinding fantastic film that you want to see more of and that's what makes it so good i'm you can pick uh, scorsese we, we mentioned scorsese um what's that dicaprio on five five points king battles battles of new york gangs of new york yeah gangs of new york another epic great film you know that has that Fantastic beginning, world building all the way through, building up, building up, building up, and then it ends on a, you know, it's it's, it's brilliant. But it's only because you're invested in the people and the characters and the story and their plight. Without that, you've got, you know, EastEnders. That's quite quite interesting, Si, because when we were going to talk about films that don't earn their length, I was going to talk about Gangs of New York. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, I, I... I don't know, like the come at me. There's, yeah, there's, there are bits of that where I am, I am sort of clock watching between the bits that I'm interested in. So, I, so yeah, I, it's obviously highly subjective. But Gangs of New York is one of those that I would rank as one of Scorsese's like hyped and then a little bit disappointed and a bit too long. Um, so yeah, interesting. So I mean, I mean, I think I think what what's been interesting about this is, and what prompted it off the back of Killers of the Flower Moon is the notion that it's funded by Apple. Ninety percent of the audience is going to watch it at home, and there is a sense that therefore a streaming runtime can be slightly more yeah. fluid, shall we say, than a theatrical runtime. I where... mean, that's where you get in the Irishman's runtime as well, isn't it? Right. exactly and and so there's been a lot of talk recently off the back of kills the flower moon that one of the things we might see eventually is this idea of the bringing back of what used to be known as the director's cut 
But in essence, for a film that is shown in cinemas as well as streaming, you have a cinema version with a slightly more cinema-friendly runtime, but then when it's shown on streaming, you get the full fat, you know, four-and-a-half-hour type jobby. And it was just a really interesting idea that with, with streamers now... Because there was a time when the streamers wouldn't show their films theatrically. It was just like, no, 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 this is our hook. This is we, we want. It, we want to keep it for for our view base. Uh, but now, obviously, with the rules around the Oscars and stuff like that, they've started to get into the theatrical showing. So now you've got this in these two worlds colliding. One which can, you know, you sat at home, you are used to binge watching series. Therefore, a three and a half hour film about you know the Osage Nation might be somewhat slightly easier on the buttocks shall we say than if you're going out to the cinema to watch it and it, it was just a really interesting notion of are we potentially seeing a sea change and some of the things that you said there say so, you know go go back to seven samurai david lean even gangs new york there was once the sense of a long film was considered well it's a prestige film because it must yeah. have so much to say so it was your chariots of fire it was your gandhi it was your out these were your long films and now we've got all these bloody kiddie superhero films that, that, that <laughs> any that any given transformers inside. movie that is you like know, and it's yeah. and and, yeah. and and i think it's that that sense of people always used to say well, there was a quote that a film should be as long as it needed to be and i think yeah but no one knows what it needs to be these days uh, you know, I liked Wakanda forever, but there's no way it needed to be bloody 161 minutes. I mean, yeah, you, you know, so so it was just it's it it feels like we're on a really interesting cusp, especially as theatres seem to be struggling, shall we say, with getting bums on seats. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it's it's an interesting idea, but like like you say though one of the best reviewed and one of the most successful films of the year is Buddy Oppenheimer. Three hours of literally bought, you know, stern looking men in rooms talking. It was, and I wouldn't have shaved a minute of that. Probably so not wholly like Tom's Killers of the Flower Moon experience. I thought mm. Oppenheimer was, it was three hours and three minutes and it was, it was, it was long, but it was, uh, it was ace. Um, I, I can't, I can't say the same about, Indie, which which if it had been a tremendous like fitting finale for indie, I don't think I'd have complained about it being 154 minutes. Instead, we had like 120 of those minutes were a tuck tuck chase. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, the, the other thing is, I was thinking about this. You compare, say, Return of the King, right? Compare that mm -hmm. to The Hobbit Part Three, Battle of the Five Armies. Oh, jeez. Now, for all the crap yeah. that Return of the King gets for its ending after ending after ending, you know, it, it is a fitting, epic finale to a, an epic yeah. trilogy. Yet, yeah, I watched Battle of the Five Armies. Where was it? Was it last year when it came out in 4K? And do you know what that film is? That film is three hours of non-stop act. There's, there's no plot. There's no exposition. It is literally a three-hour fight scene. And it's so bloody dull you know you think how how can you know uh, uh, it's because it's, there's no there's no impetus behind it if you go yes. we're sort yes. of getting slightly off track but if you go and look at any of the um uh on disc documentaries for battle of the five armies it is immediately apparent 
that there was no script and that Peter <laughs> Jackson just said, run this way, run that way, <laughs> run this way. There's going to be a fight here that we will work out later. And so there's there's no like, there is no overriding need to do something with that time mm. other than the studio tells us we need to fill this time. Mm. Um, and And that's definitely, you definitely get that sense so absolutely from Battle of the Five Armies, mm. also from all of the Bayformers movies, which all clock in over two hours, right? And some quite heft, like quite a chunk more than that. Yeah. Where you feel like just do as much as possible for as long as possible. Yeah. And there is no understanding of when you're sat in the cinema seat, mm. you want to be there for a reason. You don't want I mean, maybe sometimes you just want to be there to see some colours and lights and shapes and movement. <laughs> but only for a bit of that, right? You've got to know what those colours and lights and shapes and movement are for. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned Oppenheimer as being like just men talking in rooms, which it 100% is. But all the way through that movie, you know why and what it's for and what the stakes yeah. are. And it's that behind the camera, that confidence in the the momentum and the story and where it's going. It, if that's there, it doesn't always matter how long it takes to get there. Mm. It's very easy with the right movie to just sit there and hang out with it for a good long time if it's pulling you along. And if it's not pulling you along, it's just chucking stuff at you in the hope that you're entertained. Oh then it's going to lose people and it is losing people and yeah i'd i'd agree i think i think that if you if it's the right movie irrespective of action or whatever else you do like as tom says just hanging with these people and if it's the wrong movie you're like why won't this end and if you don't like hanging <laughs> with these people it doesn't matter how much stuff blows up michael bay it's not it's mm. not going to make you happy come the end of it no, absolutely. And the, the one that I want to shout out is one that is often pilloried for its length. So I am going to bat here for Michael Cimino's The Deer Hunter. Oh, why? Who, who would? Look, I've got all the time in the world for The Deer Hunter. It's, it, it, it's, it, earns, it's the... it earns it that structure yeah. of these characters and where they came from and everything that was before and then everything that happened out there, and then everything that was mm. afterwards. Uh, I've got all. The, I mean, they're all three mini yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm more on board with giving time to the Deer Hunter than I am to giving time to uh, Apocalypse Now Redux. Which, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah. You know, like yeah. one of them, yeah. like Kaz says, you are with them for all of it, and it all feels like it matters. Uh, and then when Coppola went back to Apocalypse Now and just ch chucked all that stuff back into it, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like some of this matters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, French plantation scene, anyone? No. <laughs> no, may we, no. Yeah, oh, Playmate of the Year, okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm fun. all right with that. I'm all You're right with that. I'm all right with that. Side boobs for the win. I will keep <laughs> I will keep the French plantation over the Playmate of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, sorry. Are there any films you would have liked to? I mean, it's a it's a very open ended question, but films you would have liked to have spent more time with, like long films you can think of where you were like, you were happy to go go that duration and just for it to keep rolling. Um, Crocodile I mean, Dundee. Oh, that's a, yeah. <laughs> eh? Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that was barely 90 minutes was it exactly um, and i wouldn't want to spend much more time with them anyway um you just spent a couple more days with I the wicker man any, anything from kurosawa i would um yes you know it, it, yeah through. i mean just a, a beautiful structured film about a, a wonderfully endearing character um i think it's difficult to pick one particular film but you know, I think anything by Kurosawa would do. You know, he's he's just a, a master of that, of that storytelling art and grabbing you and just driving you through these um, difficult character situations that you just absolutely adore. Um, David Lean's pretty good, but I think he tells the story in the time that it needs to be told, as we've already said, beginning, middle, and end, and it ends well. So I don't think David Lean. I think he's everything that he's done. He's he's absolutely spot on. Um. I don't know. Debbie does Dallas, maybe. So Mark's gone to bat for uh, <laughs> for the deer hunter, which I think is valiant. Well, I don't think there's I, any. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. That's I. I don't think I've got any quibbles with that. How about films that uh, you know, other than the obvious culprits over this last twenty twenty three films you would have seen them do with a better editor one of the one of the ones that i those come back to me a few times since i reviewed i think it was last year was triangle of sadness which was like this satire on like a sort of eat the rich mm. satire um which has elements of it that are pure genius and that are so disgusting that made me howl with laughter while I was watching it. <laughs> but the thing is like two and a half, two hours 40, it is along those lines. Mm. And I it's it's bloated. There is no other word for it. The it is it is too bloated to be effective. And I it's one of the films that like comes back to me every now and then. And I think Man, that would have been one of my films of the year. If it had been like 20, 30 minutes shorter, it would have been insanely good. Um, and as it is, it just over-eggs the pudding. And um, there, I'm I'm not going to say there is too much vomit in it because... Uh, <laughs> you can there, never have enough vomit, You can Tom. never have enough vomit. There is a lot of vomit in it. And that's... <laughs> And and the sort of excess of that is very, very funny. But it would also be very, very funny if it were just a tiny bit shorter. I don't think you would lose any of the funny. But I, mm -hmm. yeah, so there's that that was that's a film that's, that's, well, that's that stuck with me. Said, wasn't it? Yeah. Scratch so much. You can only get to a certain point, and then after that, it's you're repeating yourself. So you just cut it. Leave the audience yeah. on a well, side there's a there's, yes. I mean, it comes back to, I don't know if um, any of you guys are, are particular fans of the comedian Stuart Lee, but his, his uh, in stand-up, his technique is very much to do the same thing until it's so stupid, it's funny, and then it stops being funny and becomes boring, but he keeps doing it 
until it becomes funny again. And like Triangle of Sadness is right in that like <laughs> no man's land between funniness where you're just like, oh my God, this is still going on. This is, that's a dangerous game. It, yeah, it's it, a dangerous game. Excess. It reminded me of um, uh, Craig Zala, S. Craig Zala. Because he's he's done he did Bone Tomahawk, mm. uh, Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine, Dragged Across Concrete, which Dragged was... Across Concrete. Mm, the two of those are two yeah. hours and like fifteen minutes long, and they're they're long haul movies. I mean, mm-hmm. Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine is, I mean, it's got intense extreme violence for like its last hour solidly in a prison. Um, but Dragged Across Con- Concrete was 159 minutes. Yeah, it feels it as well. It does feel it. But you know what? I, I actually really liked the characters that they developed over that 159 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I wonder with his films whether the impact of the violence and the horror and everything that happens to them at the end would be anywhere near the same if he didn't go to such great lengths to establish them. Like, he really spends time with these characters at the outset and almost nothing happens. And then, obviously, they're going to get put into this horrific meat grinder. But by spending all of that time with these characters... You're kind of you're kind of on board with them. You kind of really don't want stuff to happen to them. It's not like thirty minutes into the movie, someone gets kidnapped and then action, action, action. It's it's um yeah, it's a it's his style certainly. But I I suddenly thought about him doing long movies, and I don't know whether I'd see them cut. Mm. I, I mean, for me, I, I'm I'm a fan of movies that are going to challenge me intellectually. Shall we say? Sometimes that goes a little bit too far. So (laughs) just like Debbie does Dallas, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of the reasons why I've I've been put off seeing Bowie's Afraid. Uh, I'm Mm. I'm going to get to it eventually, Mm. but but the film that sticks in my mind, and I watched it last year, and I'm still scarred by it, is David Lynch's Inland Empire. Boy, oh boy! I mean. Yeah. That's, an, that's an endurance test, right? I mean, I've, I've fit, never made it through that. Oh. You, have you, you've made it through it, have you, Mark? Did you well, make it? Through? Well, I, I, I started. I mean, you're on recording it. here because you did review it. So I did, I did, I did review it, and <laughs> and for the first hour, I was watching intensely, trying <laughs> desperately to work out exactly what's going on. And then, oh, the you second... wasted your time, Mark, trying to work out what's going on. What <laughs> a waste the, of time! And then for the second hour, I was just kind of. Hang on, yeah. hang on. I've got yeah. to put my fantasy football team out on my phone, and I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll keep it. I'll keep going. And for the third hour, I was, I was almost like, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring the bus forward. It. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. Well, no, I, speed. I, I mean, I mean, I mean. I think you'll find, Kaz. My score for that was WTF out of ten. It was. I think if you go back and have a look for it, <laughs> I remember so, that. I mean, you know, I'm I'm all for you want to challenge me 90 minutes now, 90 minutes of what the hell? I mean, Christ, I've got shells of Italian insanity over there that I have no clue what's going on, but they make for a fun 80 minutes. Stick another two hours on that, and I'll tell you what, I'd be wanting to hurt someone. So yes, inland empire, <laughs> inland empire. No, that's just a, that's no. a test. 
Yeah, for sure. I didn't I didn't realize that um it chapter 2 was clocking in at almost 3 hours as well. Neither did I until you wrote it down there. I was <laughs> like, all right, okay. But yeah, I oh, guess yeah. it's quite long. Well, they've, they've got to give all those adult actors actually something to do, haven't they? Because let's be honest, the kids blew them off the screen in the first film. I mean, they. I, I, Bill I, Hader I, was good. Bill Hader was. Well, they, no, was they, good, they were but... all good, but you'd all just rather still see the kids because they were just more fun. The first yeah. part was shorter and better. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so sure. uh, Hader was an absolute standout because he wasn't playing the character you expected from him. Mm-hmm. He actually actually was tremendous but uh, for for the cast they put together and for the movie it was a sequel to yeah no well um, well but again you could just argue that well that's that's king's problem isn't it all the way i'd i'd argue that it was they even- they left a lot of stuff out from King, that <laughs> oh well, well, and, and a lot of stuff rightly left out, shall yeah. we say, Tom? Oh yes. boy, uh, oh boy, what a but, book! But but again, I'd argue was if you go back to the It miniseries, it was exactly the same. The kids yeah. are so much better than, than that. It was just yeah, part of absolutely. King's writing. He has more affection. Look at look at Stand by Me and the body. You know, he has he has much more affection for for the children than than the adults so i think that's probably second only to his affection for children was his affection for cocaine at that point i think (laughs) well well, yes (laughs) and we're back to scorsese again (laughs) (laughs) but you were talking about um watching something nuts for 80 minutes like one of your one of your crazy 88 movies uh discs yes as 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 it goes there is no movie i've sat through of the length above three hours that has felt more like 80 minutes than RRR like that. I don't, I don't know how many of you guys have, have watched the, the Bollywood sensation, but considering, considering its length, I could have stuck with it for another hour. I, no, you told me to show it to the kids, and they were traumatized within the first. Few, like, some leaps through into a crowd on fire, and there's a lion or something. I mean, my God, they were like, "What?" It is just pure dynamism for three full hours. Um, that's yeah, that's an example of where like you can just like nail people to the wall with action for three hours, and for some reason, it works. I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think the 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 thing with the, with the the to bring to bring this baby home, there's been a lot of talk about long run times, and there's even you know some people have even suggested that there would then be differential pricing in cinemas that you would pay more for a longer film. Oh, people are dumb, aren't they? People are <laughs> dumb, and 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 they'll soon realise that that will never happen. But it's. <laughs> It's interesting that that the the debate is, and I think the reason why we have the debate now is that, on average, these runtimes are just creeping up and up and up and up, and you know, gone are the days of cinemas insisting on a on a two hour runtime so they can get as many showings in a day. You know, obviously well, they got nothing to show. That that does yeah that that that's gone. Uh, but but it is. It, it is interesting that the length of these films is prompting this kind of discussion. So, uh, I mean, I, long may it ring. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, Mark, because I, I mean, my picks reflect the fact that, you know, 23 has been a crazy year for durations of films because I took the kids to see all of them Indie, uh, Spider Verse, and Fast X, and they were done 
they were done with long movies and I didn't get to take them to the to Dead Reckoning, which they've been building to for years. And it was just like one long film too far. They were like, we're done. You know, it's all it's almost three hours long. No, we're done. They kept they were my my son was tired in spite of us and shouldn't have been. It was it was fabulous, but it was too damn long. And uh and it feels like every film everything is like two and a half hours long like minimum uh there was a time when it was something special and i remember i remember the day i remember 95 i remember heat from uh, michael mann 170 minutes it was a prime epic i saw it three times in the cinema it was like you got de niro you got pacino for the first time I I couldn't I I did not want that movie to end. That was fabulous. And then uh, Scorsese did Casino, 178 minutes, and it was another fabulously wrought tale across you know the ages in Nevada, the gangsters and the casinos, and really intricate detailing of what goes on there. Again, De Niro up there this time with Pesci. I mean, it felt like these movies earned their length but it wasn't every movie that year was 170 minutes long and so they really stood out to me and I was happy seeing them more than once and I was happy you know enjoying them as being epic I'm not sure I'm prepared for every movie to want to be epic I don't well, we've know got to, we've got to watch the Marvels this month and that's going to be 240 minutes long I hear <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I didn't tell you that Mark <laughs> I, I will report back and score accordingly <laughs> it's the shortest one so far isn't it it's like under two hours or something it's like it's crazy I don't even know how it got a release yeah but the the homework that you have to do first is much longer <laughs> yeah <laughs> Spe speaking of which what's all this i hear about you know the new mcu show echo oh spotlight marvel spotlight marvel spotlight mm. is it true yeah that, that if it's released under the marvel spotlight banner that means you don't have to do any homework to i watch can't it. i can't believe is they've that, done this they've is that what it means yeah they've said like <laughs> they've said like it's really good. You can watch this if you don't know anything about Marvel. And I don't seem to realise that people are like are seeing that and going, oh, thank God, I don't have to watch it. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I, that really tickled me. Yeah, me too. I couldn't believe that was... What that was good news. That is just So... That's a nice spot to end it on, Kaz, isn't it? Very nice. <laughs> Films we don't have to watch and TV the shows MCU don't have to watch. finally lost its shit completely. Mm -hmm. I think that's... Well, and in coming soon, Mark reviews the Marvels. <laughs> Not three hours, three out of ten. Uh, uh, Tom's also going to look at um, David Finch's uh, The Killer. Um, sure. That's Friday. Mm -hmm. uh, and Mark's going to return. I, I don't know why, Mark, to the Hunger Games for the prequel that everyone is clamoring for. I think why that, a for the win. I think that one's <laughs> like in almost three hours as well. I'm sure it is. I'm sure. I'm Just, only going for the Donald Sutherland cameo. Uh, I'm not going to get it. Check. I know I'm not. 
Tom is going to look at uh, the Godzilla Kong legendary TV oh, show. On I, can't, looks I can't ace. wait. Wyatt <laughs> Russell and Kurt Russell are playing the same character. I mean, I it's... can't wait. I, I think this is a real coup for Apple because they've had... I've had a lot of iffy sci-fi and a lot, a lot of long-drawn sci-fi. This is some proper chance to go gonzo. I mean, it's a Godzilla thing, so I'm going to give it 10, like, yeah. like sight Straight unseen. Off the bat. <laughs> so do, um, do we think, though, we're going to see Godzilla minus one out in out in cinemas? In December, supposedly. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, Are we actually going to see it, though? Is it actually going to come? Mark, Am I there is, to go? Mark, I think there's two... nothing that's not in cinemas at the moment. I well, think I suppose they've, they've said, like, uh, 200, 200 cinemas. So, yeah. I mean, you know... If you live in a cool, fancy city and not in the middle of friggin' nowhere like me, then maybe you can go and see it. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's going to be a lot of stuff playing in cinemas that stood no chance. Nick Cage is ruling the cinemas. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's a uh, dream yeah. scenario next dream this, scenario this month. coming out soon. Yeah, I don't not near you though. You're going to have to move house. <laughs> just just saying. I'm having that. I'm gonna um I'm gonna return to Netflix's The Crown for the first part of its sixth and final season, to Apple's For All Mankind for its fourth undoubtedly epic year. And we're gonna cover a whole bunch of 4K titles, although we seem to be at the whim of Amazon's ridiculous delivery date. Mm. Released on the sixth, we'll definitely get it to you by hmm, the eleventh. How's that work? You know, it's just fine. Why we pre-order stuff? Anyway. Do let us know if there's ever anything we've not covered that you think we should check out and we'll just ignore you and not check it out. Um, <laughs> that's it for the AV Forums podcast this week. My thanks to Movies Team. Simon, all the way from Australia in the future. Have a nice day, everybody. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Mark. Night, night. And Tom. Yo. Nice. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like and subscribe to Channel Plus. Hit the notification bell so you don't miss out when we publish our live streams, product reviews, and more. If you really like this podcast, then buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash avforums. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and bookmark avforums.com for the latest reviews, news, and videos. Plus, why not leave us our five-star rating on whichever service you choose, if they allow it, but only if you enjoy the show. I am Kaz Burgundy. Thank you for watching and listening, and join mm-hmm. us for another podcast soon. Oh,